Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our very own Bill Simmons just released his 500th Bill Simmons podcast episode, featuring Bill Hader talking about HBO's new season of Barry, SNL stories, and favorite movies. And for the very first time, Bill is joined by a long-awaited special guest. He also just recorded a new Rewatchables episode on Fast Five with Shay Serrano. And after you listen to the Rewatchables, head over to the Winging It podcast, where Vince and Kent interview the Fast Five star himself, Ludacris, where they discuss his career, his new music, and Fast 9. You can find these episodes and much more Ringer content on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, Rich Eisen noted on a show last week that at an NCAA tournament game, he saw the ringer's Roger Sherman, and in fact, saw more of Roger Sherman than he would like to have seen, if you catch my drift. What I want to know is, what's the most embarrassing part of you someone could see at a sporting event? Wow, that's that's pretty, that's pretty personal. Um, <laughs> well... Keep it clean. You know, when I, whenever I travel to cover wrestling, I always feel like I, and this is not a particularly unique thing. I, I, I always pack poorly, and so like by the time I'm going to the event, I'm in like the same shirt for the third day in a row because like I just didn't bring what I thought I should have brought. So I think that maybe that's more of a if people smelled me at an event, they 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 might take offense. I think that the the most awkward thing that would happen would probably be me just like horribly mi- like underdressed for some situation or overdressed for another. I'm I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I, I kind of don't want anyone to see me ever, but I you know that's a real personal thing. I probably shouldn't say out loud. So I, I don't know. Do you have do you have an answer to this question? My mind went to overdress as well, just incorrectly wearing a suit. Yeah, you know, trying to sort of look the part of a dapper 1940s reporter, and in fact your suit collar is just way up. You've tied your tie in some cockamamie way. Yes. Uh, that's it. The other, I think the biggest thing in our kind of, you know, there is no privacy world is that I am sitting at a sporting event and my notebook is visible. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you sort of cultivate the image that you're some kind of semi-conscientious, hardworking reporter. And, and somebody watching TV just says you've written boring in parentheses on your, on your note, in your notebook and nothing for the next 30 minutes. Like that. <laughs> Like that's what I was like. Oh wow, that this is sports writing. I got to say, there's nothing worse. I mean, this is this is such a like a complaint that no person should ever make out loud. But when you are blessed with good seats at an event as a member of the media or whatever else, just to, the the odd pressure of being on camera, potentially on camera all the time, is just like I just don't want. I mean, that's what I was getting at earlier. Just like the idea that someone's going to see me sitting on like the fourth row just like not paying attention is just the is like the most frightening <laughs> thing in the world you know like come on it was like 4 hours long i was just dozing off like give me a break whatever and that like that that's that that's always there but i think that the only thing that's worse than that and i say this as a you know bald man with glasses is when somebody tweets at me or texts me that they see and with a picture of them citing me at a sporting event and it not being me. So that's <laughs> <laughs> We are the toilet paper stuck to the shoe of media podcast. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast we are not allowed to describe more than one country on this planet as Mexican. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here again with three topics for your pleasure and amusement. 
First, David, we need to do another segment on the Mueller report because this thing ain't over. And speaking of ain't over, what about Rachel Maddow refusing to let Mueller go? We discuss. Second, the Lakers season has gone down in flames and the media has flipped slowly on LeBron James. What happened? And finally, we'll talk about a new book that reveals a behind-the-scenes insanity at The View, a study of a show where the backstage is a lot more interesting than the stage itself, plus a notebook dump and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But let's start with Mueller, David. Mueller 2, Mueller Electric Boogaloo. What what uh, tired internet joke can we give to this? <laughs> uh, just some backstory. Last week, Donald Trump continued his total exoneration victory lap. Here he is in Michigan on Thursday night. And after three years of lies and smears and slander, the Russia hoax is finally dead. The collusion delusion is over. The special counsel completed its report and found no collusion and no obstruction. I could have told you that two and a half years ago very easily. Total exoneration, complete vindication. You know, it's interesting. Robert Mueller was a god to the Democrats, was a god to them until he said there was no collusion. They don't like him so much right now. We need a category (laughs) for when Donald Trump overpronounces words. The collusion delusion. (laughs) Total Uh, exoneration. He found like nine extra syllables in those words. Um, Trump was also on with Sean Hannity last week. Um, And in that Michigan speech, Brian Stelter of CNN notes, he saluted, quote, our friends, uh, meaning his Fox News friends, Hannity, Tucker Carlson, and Laura Ingram, and said their ratings were through the roof last night. Um, Other updates. So that was so it was basically a total victory lap on the Trump end. Back in the media, uh, the New York Times homepage noted that the Mueller report exceeded 300 pages. Uh, raising questions once again, David, as we talked about last week, why we're all relying on a four-page summary. Uh, Times was uh, reported on that on Thursday morning. And they also found that, uh, or maybe CNN found this, that only 74 words of the Mueller report were actually quoted by Attorney General William Barr. So have we made any progress from last week? Or are we just in this weird stasis which is really, really strange to me for a major news story. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think that some of the the collective sigh that came from um, the liberal side of uh, the political landscape when, when the Mueller report was filed, I think relied on the assumption that, that if there was, you know, more to the story than met the eye, then it would somehow have sort of leaked out immediately or, um, you know, upon... Bill Barr putting out that memo. I mean, you know, I mean, the, 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 you know, Mueller himself has been notably, you know, tight lipped and closed off during the whole process, but he did, he did come out and, and dispute that one BuzzFeed story, um, which would lead one to believe that if Barr had been totally off base, maybe there would have been some, some word from Mueller or, you know, leaked from his cohort. Um, but yeah, I, I think that where we were last week was a sort of, caution belief that what Barr said was true uh, under the assumption that we would get the uh, 
you know, more supplementary information as the days went on. That mm. hasn't happened, and now we're still waiting. Yeah, in short order, too, right? That it was going to be like right. days, not weeks. Sure. Before we figured all this stuff out. Yeah. Um, the other interesting part of this is that public opinion polling about this issue. So mm -hmm. NBC News, Wall Street Journal uh, found that Trump's approval rating had actually gone down following the release of the Mueller report. Uh, his approval down from 43.53, uh, down from 46.52, 29%. Uh, this is according to Josh Jordan on Twitter, say the Mueller report clears Donald Trump, while 40% says it doesn't. So <laughs> total exoneration, not only from the president, but I think a lot of the media too. And yet the public doesn't seem to be buying this at all. And, and they seem either unchanged or pretty clearly against the conclusions of the report, which is always, which is also pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I think it goes to show that, you know, a lot of a lot of people's opinions have, you know, were formed uh, before the report came out and they aren't going to be necessarily affected by um, by it being submitted and, and probably not by, you know, <laughs> the, the, the like its actual details being released whenever that happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just find it I mean, I, I just think that it, it'll be I, I think that what we see, you know, if, if you want to take the really partisan um, angle on what Bill Barr and what the Trump administration is doing is that they're trying to, you know, run out the clock and affect public opinion. Uh, if and, and the hope must be that, like, that public opinion will sway in favor of believing that, you know, what what Trump was saying in that clip was 100 percent true. And that when and that if any truth comes out that contradicts it, well, you know, public opinion will have already been sort of set. The uh, other thing that interested me about this is this whole question of how the media should conduct itself now in this moment of waiting. Um, you know, one of the one of the errors that some conservative critics made uh, when the Mueller report came out was they, ha ha, it has invalidated all your reporting, to which the answer was, show me all the New York Times and Washington Post stories that were actually wrong, <laughs> which they weren't uh, right. in, in the in the main. The other is. Rachel Maddow, in a particular case, I noticed this. <laughs> did you read this column by Willa Paskin over at Slate? Yeah, it was really good. Takes Maddow to task for continuing to cling to not only Mueller, but this idea that, you know, greater truths will be unearthed. Her concluding sentence, and I encourage you to read the whole column, is if Maddow's audience of susceptible ostriches and amateur detectives people who bury themselves in conspiratorial details, hoping to unearth the one clue that will beam us out of this reality is not as malignant as Fox's audience of the hateful, aggrieved and ignorant in this one regard, at least what's happening between MSNBC and Fox is not a contest. More than one cable news host can disservice their audience at a time. What did you make of her critique of Maddow? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is honestly not a personal anecdote, but, but the thing I hear over and over again um, from, you know, coworkers and friends is that those susceptible ostriches and amateur detectives are, you know, largely made up from, you know, liberal suburban moms of people I know um, <laughs> who are watching at home every night. Uh, and dads will just be equal opportunity here. Sure, sure. I, I absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, I, I think that, 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 that Paskin's critique was, you know, 
was very legitimate. I mean, it was very well formed and 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 well considered. I mean, the 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 question um, to me is even separate from fact, and I think that that she makes the case cogently that Maddow is not necessarily concerned with ultimate fact. Uh, but but setting that aside. Um, you know, the question is like, has Maddow become the liberal Glenn Beck? And and you mm-hmm. know, and and not just the the caricature. I mean, the, the Glenn Beck was a Fox News personality who, who you know, followed a line of conspiratorial thinking that led him further and further down a rabbit hole until he was eventually unemployable by, by even by Fox News. Um, and then, of course, he's he's you know reformed several times since then in different directions. But um, but listen, I mean. The, the charges that have been, I mean, that, that President Trump and those around him have been accused of, even the, even the, the uh, you know, the, the, um, the folks that have actually been charged with crimes, um, I mean, that, that is an actual conspiracy. So, I mean, so just, I mean, it's not a, it's not, you know, conspiracy is not necessarily a dismissive term, but, you know the facts of the case don't need to be dismissed or demonized to acknowledge that what Maddow's doing is a conspiratorial thought process, a thought experiment, right? And that the and when the chase, when the thrill is in the chase, conspiracy, you know, a conspiracy theory is never really settled, right? I mean, it's like you're always no. looking for the next thread to pull, the next thing, and um, and that's what gets dangerous for the viewers. And I don't mean necessarily literally dangerous, but it, but it's it's not if it's not a per, if it's a pursuit of conspiracy instead of a pursuit of truth then you're not left with much i guess i guess i go two ways on matter which is there's that so when you're in when you're in the you know here comes collusion when you're on that bandwagon i think it's really hard to pull up and just tell your audience you know what this was an absolutely worthwhile story i feel great about everything we talked about i feel this was this is so important and so potentially hideous that I don't regret a minute we spent on this, but there's nothing here, folks. There's nothing to see here. I just feel that that's basically impossible for somebody like her to do. There's just, I like, even if it, even if we read the entire Mueller report and it comes to that conclusion, mm-hmm. I just feel like no talk show host is going to do that because their reputation is based on them kind of knowing stuff you don't and putting the pieces together in ways you can't. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the timeless allure of conspiracy, right? It's that like- Or talk shows. A, I mean, I think either well, one, yeah. right? Yeah, but that, I mean, that, and that's, I think you're drawing the right point. I mean, the, the, the appeal of conspiracy is that it's a, there's a kind of sort of concise set of secret knowledge that if you understand this, you know more than someone who's spent a lifetime studying the subject or who works on the inside or, or, or who, who, who claims to know everything. Uh, that, I mean, that's the, the allure is the sort of, is the sort of simplicity but unattainability of it. Now, if you- and and you're right. That's exactly what happens on the talk show. Now, listen. If you want to give give the benefit of the doubt to Maddow and, and anyone else, uh, I mean, the rest of uh, much the rest of MSNBC has found themselves in the same position. It's that they don't know what the report actually says, and you don't want to be doing double you know, two about faces in a row, right? You don't Absolutely. you don't want to you don't want to ha- you don't want to come out with the mea culpa only to have that be what's used against you. I mean, if if the I mean, heaven forbid, if the bar if the, if the Mueller report comes out and there's just indisputable proof that there was some grand conspiracy, then the the then your mea culpa that ran that, that you ran two weeks early is going to be used in every ad you know the, to get Trump reelected. So I mean you you have to be 
cautious, but it's but but it's a lack of caution that's gotten to this point um, that that that's that, that is that has put them in this situation. I just the other the other way the reason I'm torn here is because I just wonder and blame this on all my political leanings if you want if the proper way to cover Trump at least from these kind of jobs like the one that Maddow has is from the angle of probable conspiracy or potential conspiracy as you point out there's enough here without the Mueller report you know quashing it to say oh man a lot of really really just crazy awful criminal things have happened. Uh, you know, Trump trying to build, you know, buildings in Moscow during <laughs> during the election, right? Trump has yeah. lied and lied and lied about all of this stuff. So, you know, I just, I remember this at the beginning of the Trump administration. I feel that this has been a continuing theme, at least for the quote unquote mainstream media, which is what pose are they supposed to take? You know, all the evidence is in front of them that they're dealing with something they're dealing with someone who lies more than any president they've covered, who is involved in extracurricular activities outside of the White House and his business empire that's unlike any president they've ever covered. So I guess the other thing is just why not <laughs> stay in that mode until otherwise notified, until your absolute last moment? Because, you know, again, I just I can't help but think I, I am not for, you know, one of the, a couple of things Paskin points out in here is her kind of winking at the audience about things like, oh, there's this un, unidentified corporation, folks, this thing is still live, um, that may be doing a disservice to your audience. But as for your overall outlook about Trump, I just wonder if that's not the right place to be. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's right. And, I, and you made the point last week, I believe, that, you know, if that the timing uh, has of of all of the charges that that you know the Mueller investigation has has leveled has has sort of done a disservice to the to the endpoint of it, uh, which is that you know the crimes of Paul Manafort have sort of been swept under the rug or at least lost a memory, you know, lost a history yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, that that you know that if if there were any one thing that's come out, and like you said, there's all these Washington Post, New York Times stories that have not been disproven by any stretch. If all of these things came out on one day, it would seem like a tidal wave. You know, it would seem crazy. And, and people have, many people have pointed out, you know, the uh, the emolument stuff. I mean, if if there if any president in the past had a hotel across the street from the White House making the kind of money that Trump is, that would be the that would be conspiracy. I mean, yeah, conspiracy enough to 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 water down an entire administration. You know, Absolutely. if not if if not put somebody in legal jeopardy. Um, but again, bring it back around to the subject. You're right. I mean, there is. Uh, Maddow and others have have put themselves in an uncomfortable situation. You know, it's it's not just that they've done that she's done a disservice to her viewers up to this point, but it's that she finds herself in a position to uh, an inexorable position uh, that she can't sort of artfully back out. And I mean, she shouldn't have to artfully back out, but she uh, but but you know, there's no way to to kind of end the conspiracy until it's entirely put. To rest, and then these people are tuning in every night to hear the next chapter in this never-ending conspiracy narrative, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's we 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 joke about you know we we've, it seems like every other week we find some way to to joke about that the you know the real treasure was the friends we made along the way, but it really is like the the it is the it's the viewers we gained along the way, right? I mean, the, the, her numbers are skyrocketing, totally. you know, or have over, and 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 whether or not there's you know, some definitive proof of collusion or whatever 
um, that kind of became secondary to the hunt for this conspiracy, which is, you know, not that that's not exactly news gathering in a traditional sense. But, you know, that's 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 where we are. We always talk about the myth of the swing voter. Is there is there really a swing viewer who's like, you know, Trump won this round. So instead of Matt out tonight, I'm going to watch Hannity. Who Who is that person? Does that person exist on planet Earth? I'm sure that person exists, and I'm sure, I mean, well, I guess if that person existed, we probably would have seen a New York Times Magazine profile of that person, but... <laughs> Do they live in the Midwest, perhaps? You know, Do yeah, they go to I think diners? It, I think we all know it's just like the level, like the volume of, you know, of political angst on your side leads you to watch these shows. It's yeah. not, yeah, there's, it's, it's not right. an either or. Yeah, it's, it's like, like when, back in the, it's, when Texas wins a big game, I go to my uh, University of Texas message board so we sure, can all have it, a little party. I remember back in the day we used to, I mean, they used to always talk about, you know, the Rush Limbaugh's numbers would be touted as this great like accomplishment in, in the conservative movement and 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 you know, there's no liberal equivalent of it. And and I, you know, I think we used to joke together. It's like, no, because the liberals are listening to Howard Stern. They're not seeking out, you know, some sort of some sort of political radio. And now that's some of that has changed in, you know, the modern era. Uh, they're listening to political podcasts and such. But um, you know, I think that's all a direct line from the level of sort of, like I said, the level of angst uh, that surrounded your political movement. All right, David, now it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. The Boston Globe reports, David, that the Icelandic budget airline, wow, W-O-W, <laughs> says it has ceased operations stranding passengers on two continents. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write nothing to say but wow, or just wow. Thanks to college sports writer Dan Wolken <laughs> for that one. We're now we're now in the zone where celebrity journalists are sending us stuff, which I really like. That's that's just happy, mostly because I don't want to go find this stuff. So please send them to me. <laughs> totally. Uh, this one requires a smidge of backstory. David, do you remember the Wells Fargo scandal of a couple of years ago? Yes. Per Wikipedia, highlights include the bank ordering credit cards for customers without their consent and also creating fraudulent checking and savings accounts. There were more than 2 million unauthorized accounts created in a five-year period. Okay. Okay. Uh, when it was reported last week that Wells Fargo CEO, Tim Sloan was stepping down, it was an overworked Twitter joke to write as a retirement gift. Wells Fargo plans to give him 35 credit cards, 14 savings accounts and 72 checking accounts. Uh, thanks to Tyler Tourville for that one. We need, we need more material from finance Twitter. We really do. So please also send that <laughs> stuff in. All right, David, before we get to LeBron James and the media, let's take a quick break. Hulu's paying some of the league's best players a lot of money to do some pretty crazy stuff. Joel changed his nickname from The Process to Joel Hulu Has Live Sports Embiid. Damian Lillard got a tattoo that says Hulu Has Live Sports Clearly, they really want you to know that Hulu has live sports. Get over 60 live and on-demand channels, tons of shows and movies, and exclusive originals with Hulu. Get rid of your cable and make the switch for $45 a month. Watch your favorite teams and the biggest games all season with no cable required. Watch on the go and on all your favorite devices. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Learn more at Hulu.com. All right, David, topic number two. LeBron James. Last week, the Lakers and LeBron finally decided to shut it down for the season. And the writers who were waiting to hit publish on their what went wrong takes stood up. Uh, there was a big one on ESPN from Dave McMenamin. 
a lacerating column this weekend in the uh, L.A. Times from Bill Plaschke. Yeah. And many other things. couple notes about LeBron and the media. Number one is last summer, and I remember because I had to write about this, LeBron had something like 100% approval rating in the NBA in the NBA Twitter and beyond NBA Twitter. Yeah. He had he had dragged that god awful Cavs team to the NBA finals. He had opened the school in Akron. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like he was in this zone of you can't do anything wrong. And you know, and whatever, you know, anger people had had just being mad at him, being mad at the decision, everything. It was just all kind of gone for a while. It is now back <laughs> if not in as concentrated a form as in, in a much smaller form. Uh, what do you make of our mood swings about LeBron James? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that, that just to look, I mean, listen, there was, there was much uh, conspiracy theorizing throughout last season about LeBron going to LA. A lot of people projected it a mile away. Um, and there was, you know, people were certainly keeping tabs on him as his as his last season with the Cavs wound down. Um, but if you need any more indication of how high his approval rating was, I mean, the idea of of a star of his magnitude leaving his hometown team for the L.A. Lakers and getting relatively little blowback for it, that's sort of all you need to know, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that, you know, LeBron is... Um, is, for better or worse, he's sort of just like... A, he, he's... You know the bellwether of what our boss Bill Simmons calls the player empowerment era of sports. I mean, he's he has um, without a doubt an outsized influence on the NBA, uh, not just from his own level of celebrity, his uh, endorsement deals, everything else, but you know his his relationship, uh, hazy as it may be, to Clutch Sports, yep, uh, the management group, and also when he sh- shut it down for the season. A lot of players have been shut down for the season at this point. You know, teams are angling for draft spots and stuff, but there did seem to be a sort of finality to it where I don't think he's necessarily leaving the team, although there have been those theories too. But there, but there's, but there's, there was definitely, but it did feel like sort of a, I don't know, it felt like, it felt like uh, when you hear about your friend taking a break in their relationship, you know, it felt, <laughs> it felt like there was some sort of, it, it, it hurt a little bit to hear about. And um, part of that's that, you know, LeBron has been for, you know, for the most part, a, a, a real warrior in terms of playing every game he's healthy for throughout his career. Um, that you, you know, that, that just the sort of mold that he is uh, either crafted for himself or that we've sort of foisted upon him is that of the sort of uh, iconic athlete that would never do any, never stop fighting for that one last win. Um, but I think that, that like with a relationship, it just takes one thing like that to sort of like make you pick sides, you know, or make you uh, kind of make you raise an eyebrow and you start to look at all this other stuff. You know, you start to look at the the sort of GM LeBron aspect of everything and the and the behind this behind the curtain LeBron. Yep. And that's that's way less flattering than the, you know, LeBron we were celebrating uh, 10 months ago. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's the, the, the sort of downside for the players, not for humanity, but for the players of the player empowerment movement that LeBron, you correctly say, started, is that you get blamed for being a player and you also get blamed for being the shadow GM. You know, you're going to get so so LeBron had a good season on the court this year, even though it was hurt. Uh, but he gets blamed for the way for the fact that Kawhi Leonard didn't want to be a Laker. 
mm-hmm. and that the 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 crappy veterans that the Lakers signed to be around him. You know, that all sort of that all kind of goes in. And, you know, it's like to me, it's sort of like to the extent that we can separate out what James did and what Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka did in terms of signing people, you should get that blame, right? If you were if you were constructing the team, then you're gonna get a little bit of that. So that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that really interests me about this, and I, I said a few things about this on Heat Check today, so forgive me for m- repeating myself if you're a ringer podcast completist. But the um, there's this whole idea with LeBron that, and I think this is a little bit of a straw man. I'm not sure anybody's actually saying this, but let's say this idea is out there, that he has, has so many entertainment projects that he's being distracted by them. That mm-hmm. he is here in Hollywood now. He's got all those things. There was a deep dive about that in the LA Times this week. He's got all that stuff. I don't necessarily think he is distracted. I certainly think he should be able to do whatever he wants in that realm of life. Here's the thing. From a local perspective here in LA, I never heard him make the case in the media terribly strongly of why he wanted to be a Laker. I heard why he wanted to be out here because of all the entertainment stuff. But to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, I, I never got the sense of that. And, you know, writers here still talk about the fact that when he decided to sign with the Lakers at the beginning of free agency, he didn't do a press conference here. They sent out Rob Palenka to read from the Paulo Coelho novel. What? Yeah. I mean, that's like, which is like, honestly, the worst moment in the history of press conferences. I mean, what in the hell was that? And I just never got the sense that he does he that he did he really wanted to be a part of that team. And again, that's not saying LeBron didn't try. That's not saying LeBron's distracted. Put all that aside. Put all those dumb ideas aside. It's just like I don't quite understand the affirmative case of why he wants to be a Laker. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a I think that it's easy to read. And listen, I'm 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 jumping over to the fans' perspective now, <laughs> but it's easy to read a lot of uh, just sort of. Uh, wrongheadedness into all of the, I mean, just all of the decision-making processes that go on in his camp and, you know, by extension, clutch sports too. You know, I, 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 I joked when Anthony Davis made his trade demand that like, you could just see the, the clutch crew. I mean, you could imagine the clutch crew, like coming up with this idea, like we'll just demand a trade on this Monday, the specific day, and then it'll force their hand. They'll have to take the Lakers mm-hmm. trade. And they all, they all agree. They all high five. They all walk out of the meeting. And like 45 minutes later, they're just like staring at the computer screen, confused as to what just happened, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like there was sort of some of that with his announcement with the Lakers too, that like he was going to take a vacation. And then he, they, were, they were like, you know, what would be really cool if instead of waiting till you got back and stringing everybody along, which nobody wants, we just went ahead and told them we're signing with the Lakers right now. But then they forgot to cancel the vacation. You know, they forgot <laughs> to do like the like the second half of it that would have really made, driven the point home. And you're right. He hasn't made the case. The one thing he did say was that he wasn't upset. He like he was signing regardless whether or not Paul George decided to sign because he was there for the long haul. That was a statement. That, That's right. That statement specifically. And then what we got this season. And again, you're reading. You you know you read sort of you know malevolence into into his places where it doesn't exist. But what we saw this season was sort of the opposite of that. Now maybe he's into the long haul in the sense that like he's preserving himself for the long for the long haul. He's preserving his body for the long haul. But you certainly didn't see him. You know. Helping the 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 young Lakers along and trying to like and trying to make this version of the Lakers the best it could possibly be. You didn't see them preparing the team that they had this year for future years of greatness. Um, you saw him take an extremely long period of time off for a groin pull, which I'm sure was legitimate, but was you know predicted to be a matter of days and ended up being weeks and months. He did not look engaged with his young teammates. 
He did not make his young teammates feel like he wanted to play with them. I think these are all fair criticisms. Yeah, and there was that, you know, rumors that he was trying, I mean, very, very legitimate rumors that he was trying to get his coach fired, um, which is just like, again, you're going back to like the LeBron James GM playbook, which has not seemed to work in the past and, and you know, d- d- or not consistently in the past. He's won championships, so, you know, that that sort of legitimizes everything in its way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it all just seems like we've been here before and, uh and if LeBron isn't going to have the Herculean ability to overcome, you know, everything that's put in front of him, it, the kind of like holes that he digs for himself and, and, and the, those people around him dig, then, then I think more than anything, what we see is the Lakers fans and, and, and Los Angeles media wrestling with this question, the whether or not this project is a bust before it really even begins. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when people were mad at him after the decision, it was, and again, this looks so cuckoo in retrospect. You don't have the right to go to Miami or you don't have the right to go to Miami in the way that you did. Yeah. Uh, you don't have the right to change teams. Nobody now seems to be all that mad that he went to the Lakers. It's kind of more like, oh, wow, the Lakers were a disaster this season and you seem to have a hand in them being a disaster. Like you didn't, mm-hmm. it's like maybe you have the, you had the right to make that choice, but maybe you just made the wrong choice or you, you made the choice and then did a bunch of bad things about it. I am fascinated, David, by the difference between the way national NBA writers write about LeBron and local people here in Los Angeles write about LeBron, which is fascinating because LeBron is still, even after this season or well into this season, there is still this NBA Twitter thing of LeBron's awesome. Oh, well, you know, just kind of like, again, it's not, it's not that anybody's pulling a punch. People just talk about NBA players in different ways. Then you read the LA Times and read Plashke's column, and he's like, he's just doing what a local columnist is supposed to do. He's like, oh, yeah. I didn't get the memo from NBA Twitter that I'm supposed to be like, love LeBron, LeBron is awesome. I'm like, this sucks. This is this is horrible basketball. This is incredibly disillusioning. And this is, you know, we are now in Dodger season already because this was such a freaking train wreck. And it was, mm-hmm. it was to me, it was so refreshing because I was like, yeah, there's the column I want. But you just realize these people are writing for totally different audiences. You know, you're writing for Angelinos and people who are like, I'm a Laker fan. I was a Kobe fan. I was a Magic fan. And this sucks versus a national audience that maybe is more interested in LeBron in a different way. That's maybe more interested in, oh, who are the Lakers going to sign this season? All that stuff. Fascinating to me. Yeah, you also see in the local media a lot, and Plashke was was circumspect about this. That you know, it's you operate in extremes, right? I mean, you when when LeBron signs, you say this is the beginning of the new golden age of the Los Angeles Lakers, and when you start with that sort of hyperbole, it doesn't take much to sort of knock your to knock yourself back down, or to, you know, to, to diminish yes. all of your hopes, <laughs> right. um, and and to go to the other extreme. Now, listen, there's nothing in Plashke's most recent piece that. And and he kind of wrote the same piece like he's been like he's been writing it. It seems like once a month, you know, and in, in very to various varying degrees of. And, and by the way, not of, to interrupt you, but that's what local calm. We now forget this, but that's what local yes. columnists do, right? Yeah, we've forgotten this in the age where everybody's a national writer. But when you're a local columnist, you just like I'm just going to write this again because it still sucks. Anyway, yeah. continue, please. No, I, I mean I just a bit, but there's nothing that he says that's wrong. I mean I think that that more than anything else, it's just the sort of the volume or the level of vitriol you would, some would say that, that you know, that and, 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 but I think what he does, you know, 
um, again, that a local columnist can do that, that it's a, you know, a little bit harder for a national columnist is just to sort of lay everything out in sequence, you know, to sort of to say, I'm going to kind of retread a lot of the stuff I've done before, but I'm going to do it, you know, I'm just sort of like, I'm just annotating my own, uh, my, you know, my own columns from the season and, and pulling everything together. And that can be, and it is more damning than, uh, than a, you know, more zoom, I mean, more a broader take like Dave McMiniman's piece, which, which is an incredible, um, look into the season. If I can jump over there, but which I can't, my, I mean, this is not some brilliant, uh, critique of it, but it's almost amazing that, that, that he, you know, he, he got all this inside information, really provided a window into this past Lakers season and ended it with a literally unwritable <laughs> passage of LeBron making a raspberry with his tongue, trying to spell it out. And that was, I, I get the idea, <laughs> but it was LeBron was so down on how the season went that he just went, Pfft. I mean, it was the, there it was, the, it was like, the, that it was, was better the than it looked in print. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the great hee-haw song, you know, I searched the world over and, and thought I found true love. Uh, I hope I, I, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that Lakers fans, um, you know, hope that the experiment continues, right? I mean, the, despite the, despite the, you know, the vague rumors that LeBron may just leave town again or something like that, or, or, or get, get traded, um, since I guess he is under contract, but, but it's, I, that it's just that that is the. I, I don't know. It just seems so perfect that the that the end result of all of this year the, the, of everything that happened this year is a is a a series of capitalized consonants that doesn't really read. You know, I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's just maddening, sort of. It's a hee haw sketch, and I'm by the way, just because I didn't laugh, I I appreciate that reference because I love that hee haw sketch. Yeah. Uh, Always good. Endlessly renewable joke there. Two people listening to this podcast know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, tweet at us at the press box spot if you do. Um, <laughs> should we say one thing before we go about Jeannie Bust announcing the Anthony Davis rumors as fake news? Ooh. If you want to insult your own press corps, uh, not to mention NBA reporters at large, use Trumpian terms like fake news. Good work. That was weird. Very bizarre, very bizarre. And, and by the way, she was she was upset that the rumors had gotten out that they were offering basically everybody on the roster who wasn't LeBron for Anthony Davis, which I, nobody was actually mad that they were doing that. You know, I mean, at that point, the 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 the, the value of the players had sort of diminished to the point where like everybody was like, yeah, trade it. I mean, everybody in national media was saying, trade them all. You know, just do whatever it takes to get Anthony Davis on your team. Yeah. Now, now I know that she was sticking up for her team. You know, she she was trying to do damage control and and repair the relate start to you know to repair the relationships with these players who had to toil under the you know the the fear of their but that that they're all liable to be traded at any moment. But you know, the, if she I mean, what the, the 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 news that she really should have been trying to battle back against was that her front office was so incompetent that they couldn't get a trade offer across to the Pelicans. You know, I mean, like there were so many other parts of the story. There was so much wilder, you know, and and I don't know. I mean, that that just seemed like such a minor point and such an unnecessarily f- inflammatory way to get it across. All right, David. Topic number three, uh, perhaps unexpected for this here press box podcast, but I want to talk about the View. Yeah, because there was this genre of TV show, and in it, I would include network nightly nightly news, pretty much all of cable news, and for a while, the network late night show where the behind the scenes game of thrones style bloodletting 
is much more interesting than the actual show that airs on television. Uh, we're much more interested in the behind the scenes article than we are any episode of the program, which brings me to the view, which I mm -hmm. mostly consume through clips of Megan McCain going off the rails these days. But I lapped up this article by Yashara Lee, who is previewing a new book about The View by Ramin Satude, a reporter at Variety, former colleague of mine at The Daily Beast, full disclosure. Uh, can we just enjoy a few highlights from this yes. book about what went on at The View? Uh, first of all, the book is called Ladies Who Punch instead of Ladies Who Lunch. Uh, can mm -hmm. we add that to our strained pun collection? Yeah, please do. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Next. Rosie O'Donnell, co-host of The View, uh, Ali writes her two runs from 2006 to 2007 and the second time from 2014 to 2015. Rosie O'Donnell was only the host of The View for that for that short a period? <laughs> Did that feel like, when remember when we were three years into there, three months into the Trump administration and it felt like 10 years? That's what Rosie yeah. on The View, I feel like I've just been reading about Rosie on The View for forever. Yeah. A couple highlights here. Rosie O'Donnell became enraged in a meeting which led View co-host Nicole Wallace to report her to HR. Um, O'Donnell added a telling detail that speaks to the lack of oversight of the show. I didn't know what HR was, she says. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell also described Nicole Wallace bringing her husband to work that day to serve as a bodyguard of sorts. So Wallace and Rosie get into it. Um, she reports to The View. She does not know what HR is. And then the bodyguard comes. The View's director, Mark Gentile, and two other employees filed a joint complaint to HR about Rosie O'Donnell's abusive behavior. So really, the, <laughs> the HR department over The View getting an incredible workout. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, this was, this was, I think, my favorite thing in here. So O'Donnell wrote some negative stuff about Barbara Walters in her memoir. This is Rosie O'Donnell's memoir, which is called Celebrity Detox. As a courtesy, she sent a copy of Celebrity Detox to Walters, okay? Walters reads it. She's pissed. ABC management then arranges to have Rosie's memoir, which has not been published yet, leaked to the New York Post, right? But in order for the Post to get it, the Post had to frame O'Donnell as the villain of the piece and have psychologists analyze her mental health, <laughs> okay? So they're like... <laughs> According again, according allegedly, they are like, we'll give you this book, which is a great juicy New York Post story, but you have to have your psychologist analyze Rosie as you read the book. And indeed, the post story was called In the Mind of Rosie O'Drama, <laughs> which is right up there with Beta O'Dork in the uh <laughs> strained pun collection. I really don't have a question here. I just I just thought this article was incredible because it's kind of like one of those things like, oh wow. There was so much insanity here. What do you what do you make of any of this? Any part of this? I mean, listen, there was a lot of insanity. Frankly, I think I came into it with such high expectations that I was a little bit let down by the lack of absolute insanity. Oh. You you felt that there wasn't enough. Well, I mean, I just yeah, I just expected it to be even wilder for some reason. Um with all of the with the, with all of the personalities involved. I do think it's really interesting. I mean that 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 our you know, if you if you if you do a Google search, the view right now, you will get 40 iterations on this story. And I don't know if it's if it's if they're if they're portioning out little bits of news to every outlet that, you know, that every 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 news outlet gets a little bit of a leak from the book or if they're all just like slicing up 
you know, One Piece and, and, and making blog posts about it. But there's so much, there's so many of these stories out here now. Um, and it's, 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 I mean, it's just really amazing. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the behind the scenes is much more interesting than what happens on TV. That said, that's sort of always been the, the case of the, for The View, right? I mean, that, that it gets news when there's some sort of breakdown or, you know, when a major figure goes on. And I think that's the other sort of underrated part of The View is that it's one of the most weirdly significant parts of our national media establishment. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's as far as presidential candidates as what we see right now popping up on there. I mean, it's sort of the role that, that uh, you know, talk shows used to have or, you know, I mean, that, that nighttime talk used to have. And they still do that to some extent. But, you know, you really do get a chance to be humanized in a way. Yeah, I guess in a way is all the qualification I need. Um, and, you know, you, you're, you're put in a position of as, you know, every election um, the, seems to come down to, some new designation of of you know working mothers or or whatever stay at home stay at home dads or, or whatever it is. I mean it's the it's it's an audience it's an audience that um that that a show like the View or the View in particular you know can really can really target. Um, I, and, by the way, I'd like to read what the new pecking order is for most desired bookings, and of course yeah. it depends on the person. Like, I think like today, the Today Show would still be above the View if you could get if you could slide your actor, actress, author into like the seven or eight o'clock hour. Right. But the uh -huh. view's pretty close. Uh, and then like the next step down would be Joe Rogan's podcast. I think that I was about to say, I was about to say Joe Rogan's podcast. I mean, that was, I mean, there's <laughs> the, 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 there's, there's a lot of, uh, it, you know, it doesn't, there, there's no like real giant national platform anymore. Um, to the extent that there was in the past, you know, we don't have, 80 million people tuning into the tonight show or whatever. And, uh, and, and so it's, you know, a fairly large, but very targeted audience is, is, you know, the most important thing in the world. All right, David, let's do the notebook dump. Uh, enjoyed this tweet from Matt Iglesias about a term media Twitter uses. And I think David, you actually used on last week's pod quote, quoting Iglesias. I see more and more political pundits using the term fanfic as a kind of shorthand <laughs> for wishful thinking, but that's not really what fanfic is. Now, as someone who's experienced with fanfic, David, what does uh, what does fanfic really mean? Uh, I mean, fan fiction is, is taking is is taking your favorite, you know, the characters from your favorite, uh, you know, fictional properties, say like Game of Thrones, and writing your own stories with them, right? So you right. would say like you would you would put you know uh, Jon Snow and Arya swashbuckling through Essos or whatever, and and that and make your own story that's unmoored from from, you know, the actual narrative fabric of the, so of that, the show. So that's different than Trump being frog-marched out of the White House in handcuffs, which is what I think he's saying. When we yes. refer to, like, Mueller gate fanfic, it is Trump being arrested. So what is that? What's the, what's the right term for, like, is it just wishful thinking? Is it fantasy booking? What, what am I, what am I... Yeah, fantasy booking, I think, is right. We tried to, you know, there were times at Grantland where where Rafe Bartholomew and I tried to expand the sort of footprint of fantasy booking, and it's really hard to to make professional wrestling thought processes like apply to the rest of the world. But I do I, that that might be more re relevant than fanfic, although I feel like fanfic sort of gets the point across. Which, by the way, we should stipulate now that we shouldn't confuse fanfic and slashfic, which is oh yeah, that's different. Fanfic, but all about like the sexual lives of these characters. Duly also a going concern in the pro wrestling fandom world. So, yeah. Update on Trump books. Uh, Axios's Mike Allen notes that ABC News correspondent Jonathan Carl is writing a book called 
front row at the Trump show. Front row at the Trump show. Are we now at the edge <laughs> where everything has been written about Trump and we should have no more books? Um, I would say yes, but every time we get a book, we get a good segment out of it, you know? So <laughs> there's there's always some there's always something fun in there. There was a good piece by Jason Zangerly in the Times magazine about this new these two guys in uh, DC, the Javelin, who are sort of packaging <laughs> memoirs of people cast oh, yeah. out of the Trump administration and like they've sort of cracked the code in this very sort of amazing way. Also speaking of oversaturation and also speaking of ex-Trump, there are two Steve Bannon documentaries coming out. This is like yeah. when there were two talking pig movies back when we were kids. <laughs> uh, one is directed by Allison Lehman and it's called The Brink. And the other directed by Errol Morris is going to be called American Dharma. Yeah. I tried to come up with Dharma and Greg puns and I just forgot. But uh, <laughs> just insert that here. Pretend, pretend I did. That's actually an established film phenomenon. It's, it, it's known as twin films. Uh, mm. it, it dates back to the, the beginning of filmdom but yeah we remember like A Bug's Life and Ants coming out Prefontaine yeah exactly too, yeah Turner and Hooch and Canine I think was the first time I was <laughs> I questioned these things that was a great uh, also, one great it moment it was Independence Day and uh, Armageddon like they're yeah they're, the Volcano they're, Movies happened. that was another one yes oh those, yeah those are two yeah uh, interesting Joe Biden story this week maybe we should devote a whole uh, segment to it next week but I like this tweet from the New York Times' Amanda Hess, who said, A new form of defense has arisen in the Me Too era, in which it's very important for a woman to speak their truth and for men to listen, even if the woman is wrong, which sadly in this case she is, but nevertheless, it's quite moving of her to speak out about the wrong thing. That is amazing. And that is exactly what the Biden statement was. And so many people, especially on the lefty side of the political spectrum, that is how they that is how they try to navigate these waters. I can't dispute the allegation exactly, but I'm going to kind of jump through all these hoops uh, to try to do it. I thought that was really, really smart. And I could read, and she, I hope she is writing a whole column about that. Yeah. Are we ready for David Shoemaker guesses the pun headline? Yes, sure. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I kind of have a, th a whole thread for you this week. We can just read some of these out. Uh, Brian. Raftery, who has written this whole book called Best Movie Year Ever, about the best yeah. movies in 1999. We published an excerpt of it on the, on the right, radio.com last week. in our own best movies of 1999, uh, has gone through old issues of Entertainment Weekly, specifically oh, from 1999, to find all their pun movie headlines. Entertainment Weekly, underrated source of pun headlines. Kind of sorry I didn't sack these myself, but can I give you some of these? Yes, please. Remember the Kirsten Dunst uh, movie about Richard Nixon called Dick? Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Uh -huh. uh, the Entertainment Weekly movie review headline, it was called Prez Dispensers. Prez Dispensers. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, the Adam Sandler movie Big Daddy, also from 1999. Light uh -huh. as a father. Light <laughs> as a father. Uh-huh. Wild Wild West, the bomb starring uh, Kevin Klein and Will Smith. Love that movie, yeah. Men in Black. <laughs> also, the Barry Sonnenfeld reference buried in there. Um, Hillary and Jackie. I don't know if I remember this. Looks like it stars Emily Watson. Hillary and Jackie uh, called Cello, I Love You. It's a, movie, it's a musical thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is, boy, this is strained. Uh, the 13th Warrior, 
<laughs> the Michael Crichton adaptation. Oh yeah, okay. And it involved, I guess, it involved swords because the headline was "Clangs All Here," not the gangs all here, but "Clangs All Here." Wow. Uh, and and Brian has written what he also would have accepted as pun headlines, and they're even better, which is "Clang Clang Clang Went the Folly." That was his. Uh, <laughs> And a Banderas apart, uh, which is both fantastic. A couple others for you. The Mummy, the first Mummy, uh, I believe, I think, with Brendan Fraser. Uh, matter uh-huh. matter of Corpse. Not Matter of Course, Matter of Corpse. That's great. Uh, Brian's far superior headline is The Buds and the Crips. This <laughs> <laughs> is really funny. Um, anyway, oh, man. fantastic stuff. I could keep going. Uh, the, I, I w- yeah, we definitely, c- I think the real lesson here is that, you know, Entertainment Weekly is obviously a weekly magazine. They did, they, you know, a handful of these reviews every week. The more disposable a, a headline pun is, sort of the more awesome it is because you just go guns a blazing in with just whatever pun pops into your head. And that, that will make me laugh harder every time than a well-crafted pun. Yeah. And I just remember reading EW in college and thinking, man, that these guys are so clever. I mean, who, <laughs> how do you get these headlines? And, and who are these? I guess it's, it was for me, the college, because always, whenever I see a great pun headline, I'm always like, wow, that's incredible. But who is that for? Like, what is that doing? Yeah, you know exactly. who is that for? And it's kind of at some point, it's kind of for yourself as a magazine editor. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, let me give you the final one because it may even be more strained. Um, remember the enemy? Uh, remember enemy of the state? Uh, the Will Smith movie. Yeah. yeah, Gene Hackman, which was all about like overhearing things, eavesdropping, all about eaves. E a v e s that's the press box for this week he is david shoemaker chris almeida helps us with research jim cunningham is our ace producer more lukewarm takes about the media next week see you then david see you later man david mm-hmm. this sucks I mean, listen, there was a lot of insanity. This is this is incredibly disillusioning, mm-hmm. and this is such a freaking train wreck. Frankly, I think I came into it with such high expectations that I was a little bit let down by the lack of absolute insanity. Y- you should get that blame, right? I don't know. It felt like it felt like when you hear about your friend taking a break in their relationship. <laughs> Good work. Woo. You don't have the right to go to Miami. Mm-hmm. Nothing to say but wow. <laughs>